Hi, my name is Shlomo Salsa, founder of Purpose Creates Impact, host of the Teenage Impact Podcast, where you will find the inspiration to get over your struggles as a teenage kid. I was bullied, had anxiety, depression, had friends pass away, and battled confidence issues for a majority of my life. Whether you have the same issues as me, feel lonely, face challenges in your home or in school, I'm going to be interviewing people who overcame these struggles and provide you with tips on how you can overcome yours. By the end of this episode, I want you to rate and comment on what you think of the podcast. This will allow the podcast to be ranked higher and serve more teenagers. Hi, this is Shlomo Salsen, founder and president of Purpose Chris Impact, the host of the Teenage Impact podcast. Today, I have a very special guest with me. I have Jack Cernet. How are you, Jack? Doing very well. Thanks for asking. I appreciate you having me on. Thank you. No problem. This podcast is made for teenagers who are going through a specific struggle in their life, and we want to inspire them to overcome any struggle and adversity they have. I follow Jack vigorously on Instagram And I see he's been in and out of the hospital for years and years and years. And I think Jack is an inspiration for many because he has such a strong viewpoint on life. And he doesn't let him being in the hospital affect him to the point he takes a positive outlook on life and he controls one important aspect and that's his mind. He's a motivational speaker, a coach for Jack Cernet Inspires. He currently lives in Kansas City, attended San Diego State University, lived in San Diego for about seven years. His mission is to empower individuals, the community, and the world to live a calm, stress-free life by learning how to effectively overcome adversity. So. Just a little bit, um, I'm going to give you a structure on how I'm going to lay out this podcast and this um, video. Number one, you're going to be telling your story and your struggles you face as a teenager. Number two, how you overcame that struggle. And number three is any tips for teens who are facing the same exact struggle and what they can do to overcome it. Jack, you mentioned that You've had anxiety, you've had social anxiety, depression, lack of confidence. You want to commit suicide at a certain point. You felt inferior. You're a people pleaser. You fear to be a disappointment. Uh, you put a lot of pressure on yourself. You felt stressed, worried too much, diagnosed with a mental disorder. You felt like a failure. Can you dig deep? I guess it's a lot of things, but can you dig deep more on the anxiety part for now? Or tell your story. Yeah, yeah. I can uh, definitely tie in the anxiety into kind of my story. And, and I would say the anxiety was the catalyst for like all the other kind of struggles that I would, that would end up going through throughout my life leading up until, you know, the age of 24 where I am now. Um, ever since I can remember when I was a little kid, my first memories were me having anxiety about usually something with school. Um, whether it was a spelling test in like first grade. I mean, this is kindergarten, first grade. I remember being anxious. So anxiety was the first kind of, I don't know if you want to call it a symptom, but first thing I noticed that would end up being like the ripple effect to cause another thing, to cause another thing, to cause another thing. So basically, I mean, I could sit here for like an hour and talk about, you know, elementary school and stuff like that. But basically anxiety started when I was a little kid. It got worse and worse and worse throughout the years because I never was told how to like handle it. You know what I mean? I didn't know how to tame my anxiety. And uh, by the time I got to about 12 and beginning of my teenage years, about the age of 13 when I was in middle school, that anxiety was starting to cause a lot of stress. And I think anyone who has gone through anxiety either for just a little bit like a panic attack or an anxiety attack or for years like I had at that point, eventually it's going to start causing some stress and some um, frustration. So basically for me, the outline was 
I had anxiety first for years. That anxiety ended up turning into a lot of stress. By the time I was 15 or 16, I started to feel very depressed. And I didn't really even know what it was at the time. You know, I didn't know all these terms. I was just had gone to enough doctors at that time that they were telling me I was showing signs of depression. So um, it was anxiety first, then stress, then depression. Then it became very kind of perfectionistic. You know, I was a, I was a high achiever. Let's just say that much. Um, during my teenage years, school was the most uh, important thing to me in the world. You know, um, I would lose sleep over school. You know, I mean, I, I would beca- I became very unhealthy because of striving to be perfect in school. I remember um, I had straight A's my whole entire life, and I I used to get frustrated if I got like a ninety eight percent because I was really pissed I didn't get a hundred. You know, <laughs> and uh, it, and it wasn't from like my parents. I'm sure a lot of people out there, especially in their teenage years, get a lot of pressure from their parents. Uh, maybe from their community they live in. But for me, it was all kind of like self-imposed pressure. Self-inflicted. Self-inflicted. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, that was, uh, and it got to the point, and this is just kind of a quick little snippet through it, but it got to the point where the anxiety got so bad, the stress, the depression, the perfectionism got so bad where the only thing I had control over was what I ate. I couldn't control my thoughts, my emotions, how I reacted to certain things. I didn't, I felt like I was totally just in an emotional roller coaster all the time. So I became very controlling about what I ate. And because of my kind of perfectionistic background throughout the beginning of my teenage years, I got very um, strict and perfectionistic with my food. And that led into an eating disorder and all this other kind of, you know, stuff that was related to that. So, um, you know, right now, and even when I was a teenager, when I was about 15 or 16, I grew up, grew to about six, five, so six feet, five inches. Wow. And, uh, when I was a junior in high school, by the time I was 17, because of all my, uh, you know, struggles with anxiety and stress and all that kind of stuff that turned into the eating disorder, I ended up losing a bunch of weight because I, I was so strict with my food and I wouldn't eat a lot, um, as much as I should, I should say, because of body image stuff. And I was just very, uh, hard on myself. I, you know, there's, there's many years where I didn't even look at myself in the mirror when I brushed my teeth. I, I always brushed my teeth with my lights off. You know, I spent about four years brushing my teeth in the pitch black cause I couldn't wow. stand looking myself in the face, you know? So it was rough, but I got down to, and I, I don't really want to list a number because I don't want to really trigger anyone if they listen to this and they get triggered by weight. But you know, right now I'm 24 and I'm 6'5". I, I was a little bit less than half the weight I am right now when I was 17 years old. So I got really skinny, like very unhealthy skinny. Um, and that turned into the point where kind of what I, I, I have briefly mentioned in the past to you is when I was 17, I had to actually drop out of high school for the last three months of the school year because I was getting so unhealthy and very you know, I I was having suicidal thoughts and I was getting so sick. I had to go to the hospital sometimes. So the only hope that a lot of people were telling me was you should go to this residential facility in Wisconsin. And, you know, I grew up in Kansas city. So Wisconsin's not like five minutes away, you know? So I, I moved for the last three months of my junior year. I drove up to Wisconsin with my dad and I, he dropped me off and I I was there for three months in this, uh, inpatient kind of, uh, residential facility that, helped with uh, eating disorders and a lot of mental health stuff like anxiety, depression. Um, I got really good at just not putting so much pressure on myself by going there. And that saved my life. You know, that completely turned my life around. I was on a consistent downward spiral to the point where, um, you know, I didn't really feel like living anymore. And when that happens, you know, you definitely got to change something because that's, that's not the way, things should be, you know what I mean? So, um, that was very quick. I I could sit here for like an hour talking about it, but basically that was it. You said the last thing you'd said just before I started talking was anxiety. And that, like I said, was the spark to a lot of my mental health struggles and eventually into my physical struggles. We can talk later on a little bit about what I've gone through recently in the last couple of years, but throughout my teenage years, that was pretty much the gist of it. So Sure. And let's go back to where you had to drop out the last three months. Yeah. What's going through your mind when you had to uh, do that? 
made that move? Yeah, it was uh, lots of uh, uncertainty because it wasn't like until I started losing a bunch of weight, it wasn't like I no one really knew I was struggling with anything. You know, I was a varsity athlete. Um, I was perfect grades. Uh, you know, I could put on a front, a mask really easily at school during the day. I could act happy and put on a fake smile. But, you know, I'd go home at night and just be miserable. Go home after school and just, you know, oh, man, it was rough. But uh, So many people can relate. Yeah, you know, and, and a lot of people, even when I was losing weight, some people just thought I was just sick, you know, like a physical health thing. It wasn't necessarily because I – was going through a lot with uh, my emotional and mental health and also some eating disorder stuff. Um, so when I left, a lot of people were like, Oh, you know, what the heck happened? You know? Um, and so, but like to answer your questions more specifically, yeah, I was, it was, uh, it was something I was willing to do because nothing had worked to that point. You know, it was worth a try. Like mm -hmm. the worst case scenario is it doesn't work and I don't, turn my life around and I'm just back to where I am right now. So, you know, I might as well try, right. You know, the last thing I'd want to do is look back in two or three years from that point and maybe think, man, if I would have done that, what would be different? You know? Mm -hmm. So I definitely wanted to just give it a try. And uh, sometimes that's what you got to do is one of my favorite lines is what you resist persists, you know? So I was many years resisting getting better. I was self-sabotaging kind of just getting comfortable not being okay, which sounds weird, you know, but, uh, I just told myself, man, if you, if you want to do anything positive with, with your life, you got to go do this and turn your life around. And I also knew there was a lot of, uh, positive reviews and stuff about this place I was going to. It was called Rogers Memorial Hospital okay, in, uh, Oconomowoc, Wisconsin. So it's kind of a mouthful, but it's like Northern Wisconsin, close to Canada. And, uh, yeah, I was there and, completely saved my life, you know? Wow. Wow. Yeah. Now touch base a little bit about how you said you felt like a failure. Um, you were a people pleaser. You, you feared being a disappointment and what aspect are you talking about? Yeah. So I grades, uh, what you, yeah. Gra yeah oh yeah. Yeah. Grades and sports. Those are the two biggest things in my life. What did you play? I was, uh, I played everything growing up, meaning uh -huh. like, everything besides like ice hockey because they don't really have it out here in Kansas but um you know I played every sport growing up and then once I got older into like high school I was uh very competitive with soccer and I would travel the country and wow. um with my club soccer team we would you know there's a couple years my freshman sophomore in high school where I would be in a different state for a tournament um you know every other weekend I'd be out of town for a tournament so um that was my main sport in high school was soccer. And that was the, uh, you know, it was, it was, it was uh, athletic pressure and performance and feeling like I don't want to let anyone down, you know, with that. And also with grades, you know what I mean? So, and some people listening to this might want like what started all that, you know what I mean? And some stuff I can't really pinpoint, but I do know that I remember super clearly when I was in kindergarten, <laughs> We were playing, we were playing kickball and, uh, I was able to kick the, and I hit a home run like every time I was up to bat or whatever, you know, I kicked the ball the farthest and I got that positive reinforcement from like my friends yeah. in my class, you know, and I was starting to get known as like the best athlete. You know what I mean? And then in my mind as a little tiny toddler, I was like, Oh, that means I need to be the best at everything. So I, ever since then, I've put pressure on myself for many years. Now I'm, you know, I'm nothing like I was when I was a teenager, but um, up until, you know, the culmination of my struggles when I was 17, it was just constant. I had this image I had to live up to, you know, be the best at everything, be perfect, you know, be known as the, as, as the perfect, you know, school person, perfect student and perfect athlete. So it, it all kind of started back when I was six. And did any of your teachers or parents, uh, did they recognize that and try to get you out of that mentality? Uh, yeah, it took a while. Uh, it wasn't, like I said, I, I was really good at uh, kind of covering up a lot of my internal personal struggles for a long time. 
you know, my, my parents didn't even know I was struggling with an eating problem until I finally started losing a bunch of weight. Then it was pretty obvious. So it wasn't until about my freshman year in high school when I was 16 years old, you know, that someone finally kind of, you know, my parents did, but also kind of like, uh, you know, mentors that were like older adults or coaches, they would, they would kind of catch on and realize like, man, you're, uh, you're, you know, you're going down a slippery slope here. It's just going to continue to get worse if you don't try to do something about it now. So people did recognize it. One of my coaches, my high school coach for my soccer team in high school noticed it. Um, I had a psychologist I would see since second grade <laughs> Wow! and I still talk to him this day. Occasionally, you know, I don't meet with him regularly, but he noticed it when I got into high school, he was noticing how severe it was getting. And it was, uh, taken away from my enjoyment in life. You know, that's, that's, you know, I, I like to think I don't regret a lot of things cause I really don't, you know, I did everything I've kind of wanted to do so far, but I do regret not enjoying my teenage years more. And that's the part, that's the hard part about going through emotional trauma, mental trauma, physical trauma is it takes away a lot of joy and happiness and good memories from, from life, you know? That's absolutely so true, what you said about elementary school, how that one specific moment yeah. can trigger years to come um, of things in your head, in, in your mind, in your head, mindset. Uh, because I, I told a story in one of my uh, podcast episodes, my, my first one, regarding elementary school, how in the first year of elementary school, I finished my lunch last and I went to t- take a nap last. And I was crying, and from that that day, I thought I was going to do everything last. So, anytime I f- last one to take, I finish a test. Last one to finish a race. Last one to get picked on a team, and I was doing that to myself, and it all triggered from that one event in elementary school. That's it's crazy. Super, super uh, you know. Interesting to hear that because that's pretty similar, you know, to my scenario. Yeah. <laughs> and the crazy part is some people don't even have anything they can think of, you know? Yeah. When we're before the age of seven, we don't have that part in our brain that develops kind of um, memories, you know what I mean, very well. Like, I don't remember hardly, I only remember a few specific events from when I was a kid. Um, you know, so a lot of people who are going through stuff as a teenager might not really have something they can pinpoint as like the the start to the, their kind of struggles. You know what I mean? So yeah. I'm just saying that because I don't want anyone to ever beat themselves up because they think, Oh, they're the problem because there's no event that started it. You know, just yeah. because there's nothing you can think of doesn't mean there wasn't something that happened. You yeah, I mean? so. absolutely. Now we went over some of your problems in your teenage years. You, you mentioned that you've in the past couple of years, you've been going through some stuff. Can you um, elaborate a little bit more on that? Yeah, yeah. So um, like, like uh, we've talked about in the past, uh, you and I is, you know, I, I'm not up here. I'm not a millionaire. I, I don't own a fancy, gigantic business. I'm not a celebrity. I'm not a professional athlete. But I am a man who has gone through his fair share of adversities, you know, and, and it hasn't really stopped, you know, but that's the beauty of it, right? And I've gotten better at handling every little setback and adversity that's come my way throughout the years, you know. If these last two years of what I'm about to talk about, kind of the chronic illness stuff I've gone through, happened to me when I was a teenager, whew, it, would, it would have been a whole different animal, you know. I wouldn't have been able to deal with it as well because I've just gotten more um, stable and more mature and more confident in my ability to handle things and. Um, you know, really quick before I start is I, the word adversity gets thrown around a lot. And basically it, the definition of adversity is just difficulties or misfortunes. That's really it. So, and there's different levels to it. You know what I mean? Um, I, you know, it's not really good to put a number on something, but there's different severities and levels of adversity. You know, I would say spilling coffee on your lap, that's adversity technically, you know, yeah. but that's not nearly as big of a deal as like, you know, almost dying because of a health problem. You know what I mean? So it's all different, but the way to overcome it is the same. That's the cool part. And we can talk about that later. But basically the last two years, um, starting when I was 22 and I'm 24 now. So starting in 2017 and it's, uh, you know, July, 2019 now, um, I was diagnosed with stage three chronic kidney disease and, uh, which is not good. (laughs) 
that's there's uh, different stages of kidney disease. And when you get to stage four and stage five, that's like dialysis and transplant level. Mm-hmm. So luckily I'm not there hopefully ever. Um, but yeah, I just, all of a sudden my kidneys, my ureters and my bladder just started malfunctioning. They stopped working, you know, and it took over two years for stuff to finally kind of get settled down. I had 12 surgeries in, uh, since the end of there since the beginning of 2018, since January, 2018 until, um, February of 2019, I had 12 surgeries, uh, last year in 2018. I don't know the exact number, but I've looked at my records and I kind of kept track just for future reference. But in 2018, I was in the hospital approximately 275 days. So, you know, over three fourths of the year I was in the hospital. Uh, it was rough. You know, when you're in the hospital every 12 days or less, it's kind of hard to, uh, be a productive human being. You know what I mean? You're almost at the mercy of your circumstances, which is tough. Um, because every 12 days or less, I was back in the hospital with a really bad sepsis infection or with a surgery. So, you know, I'd be in the hospital for four or five days with a kidney infection or needing a surgery on my bladder. And then within 12 days or less from when I got out, I'd be right back in, you know? So that was my life for two years. You know what I mean? Um, last year I lost a lot of weight, lost about 80 pounds before I got sick. I was a big into weightlifting. Um, I was, I remember following you when you, uh, big into weightlifting. Yeah. I was a competitive CrossFit athlete and I did some weightlifting competitions and stuff. So and I'm getting back into it now, you know, I'm not going to ever compete again, but I'm getting back into lifting weights again. So I'm gaining some weight back, but yeah, it was just a complete halt in my life. You know, it's tough because at the age of 22, I was doing everything I wanted. I had no health problems. I was a full-time motivational speaker and I could work out as much as I wanted to. And then all of a sudden one day it all came to a complete halt. And, uh, Needless to say, I learned how to be patient, you know, because when you have so many dreams and aspirations and you can't do anything to strive towards them for two years, you definitely got to get good at being patient because if not, you're going to drive yourself crazy, you know? So, because at that point, you just want to be alive. That's exactly. It. That's yeah. Name. Yeah. It's, and people might think that's a little extreme to say, but it's actually true. Like there's sepsis has been a national news story for uh-huh. a couple of times down the last month. It, it, kills more people in America every year than um, breast cancer and a couple other diseases combined, which is crazy. And uh, sepsis is an infection in the blood. And if you don't treat it in time, it can start making certain internal organs stop working. So it's very dangerous. And I had it, uh, I've had it 11 times since January of 2018. So needless to say, it's a little scary. So there is your perspective. We've talked about perspective in the past, you and I, and you know, your perspective certainly changes that, uh, you know, little things don't bug you when you are preoccupied with big things like trying to survive, you know what uh-huh. I mean? Okay. So we talked about your adversity, your struggles, and what you've gone through in the past. You've had anxiety, social anxiety, depression. You've had a lack of confidence. You want to commit suicide at certain points. You were a people pleaser. You um, dropped out of school in the last three months all these little things you've been in and out of hospital in the past two years let's talk about how you overcame those struggles and how you had that mental shift where where you said okay i'm going through these struggles i'm accepting these struggles and the i can't i can't change what i'm going through but i could change my mindset how did you overcome that yeah, so it wasn't right. It wasn't quick. Let's just say Absolutely. that much. It's taken me, you know, I'm 24 now. I'll be 25 in September. It's taken me, you know, for only, for only the past year to year and a half, have I feel like I really have a good grip on how to handle things that happen. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of people are at the mercy of their circumstances. Their emotions and their mood is dictated on what happens to them from moment to moment. And finally, for about the last year and a half, I feel like I'm just always at peace and, you know, nothing really can phase me, which is, um, I hope it doesn't come across as cocky. It's just confidence. You know, I, it's, it's nice I to wake it. up in the morning and not have anxiety because everyone I wake up, I know I'll be able to handle whatever kind of comes my way, you know? Um, but to answer your question better is, uh, 
there's a lot of, you know, when I was going through my struggles as a kid and leading up until, you know, as an adult now is you get lots of advice, right? I mean, I'm sure you have yourself. A lot of people want to give you their two cents and their wisdom. And that's great. I, I think it's fantastic. Or if you open up social media, you know, if you, if you open up Facebook and Instagram or Twitter right now and you scroll for about a couple minutes, I bet you find someone's, you know, words of wisdom on their advice on how to handle things and do things in your life. It can become very overwhelming. And it did for me, for me, I was like, Oh, what should I do? Should I listen to that person? Should I do that? Should I do that? So I just simplified it. I, I, I broke it down into very simple things. And the simplest thing I could break it down to is what I have control over. Okay. And the only thing humans, you and I have control over is our thoughts and our actions. So that's all I focused on was my thoughts and actions. Instead of thinking about, oh, this guy said do that. Let me try that. But this guy said that. But she said that. You know, it's like it can get very confusing and you know, if you have like a 30 step plan towards everything, that's just, that's a lot to kind of, you know, so I focused on two things, not, you know, 50 things. And I didn't try a thousand things at once. I just did a couple of things bit by bit. And eventually my whole personality, my habits and my, my life changed for the better. So like, like I said, thoughts and actions, you know, a lot of people stress and get anxious and depressed about external things that they have zero control over. For example, my health, I was doing everything the doctors were telling me and I was still getting sicker and I was getting, having to get more surgeries. Mm -hmm. So I literally had no control over what was happening to my body. It just got to the point where my disease got so bad that the only thing I control over is how I handled it mentally and then what I did, you know, so mm-hmm. thoughts and actions. And that's, that's really what I started to do. I didn't really become really good at it until, like I said, about a year and a half ago up until now. But even when I was a teenager, you know, and going through a lot of sports injuries, you know, I, I had leg saving surgery and a couple of, and some really other bad sports surgeries and stuff. And I would do it kind of, you know, I'd kind of get good at just focusing on my perspective, my thoughts, my actions, what I can't control. But a lot of times I'd get away from it as well, you know. And finally, in the past couple of years with all this like chronic health stuff, it's almost forced me to become a master at just controlling what's between the ears. Because if you can't control your mind, you're screwed. You know, you're at the mercy of what happens to you, which is a shame. It's not a fun way to live. Trust me. It's, it's, and I'm sure you, you know, most people, you, you included, you know, it's, it's definitely not fun. And like, like your question was, what was that kind of shift you said? Mm-hmm. You know, for me, I had, like I, like I just said, I kind of tinkered back and forth with um, getting, you know, getting good at handling things, but then I'd also let things really get me down. Finally, um, about, year about two years ago so like the third or fourth time I was in the hospital with my kidney problems I thought to my there wasn't like someone who said anything I just randomly thought to myself there has to be a better way to do this like if this is as miserable as I'm going to be this is there's just no way this is the only way to handle things so my vision was really bad a lot in the hospital the meds they had me on made my vision really blurry so I couldn't watch TV. I couldn't watch my, you know, computer. Yeah. I was just there with my thoughts. So I thought to myself, wow, this is going to really suck if I don't, you know, <laughs> if I don't get good with handling, you know, kind of what pops into my head. So I kind of just, uh, you know, I didn't really look at myself in the mirror cause I couldn't really see very well, but I, I basically just did one of those like, um, accountability mirror, uh, practice tasks, you know, where I, I just thought to myself, what can I do to get better? And I became very self-aware in that moment, meaning I quit all of the BS. I stopped lying to myself. A lot of people. Self-awareness. Exactly, dude. That's, that's so important. Sony, I did for many, many years was just lying to myself. You know, I, I was in denial. I, I didn't admit my faults and my weaknesses and stuff. And I, kind of put them under a rug. And like I said to you before, what you resist will persist, you know, and mm-hmm. I resisted all my struggles thinking, oh, no, that's not really me or whatever. And, and I, but I never even thought about the alternative, which is shifting my mind and getting better at handling things. Cause if you can't handle adversity, then your life's going to be one big roller coaster of emotions, you know, and that's Absolutely. a fun way to live. You know, it's, uh, it really sucks. 
it's not enjoyable. So that's why I'm passionate. And I think that's probably, I'm assuming that's probably why you're passionate about helping teens and, uh-huh. and young adults, because if we can learn how to handle adversity or setbacks or whatever you want to call it, when we're young, that's going to set up success for the rest of our life. Whereas if we have a smooth sailing life and just kind of, you know, have nothing really go wrong uh-huh. until we're an adult in our forties, fifties or sixties, that's going to be a struggle bus to handle that and to deal with that. You know, I see, I'm in public a lot every day. I see people like just even in the grocery store, I see adults who will just freak out and get super upset and mad about like the line being too long or something. The smallest things. Yeah. And it's like, gosh, if they could have Most learned how to handle it, diversity when they were younger then this wouldn't ever be the case you know so basically I'm very grateful you know this is a really long answer so I'm sorry if I'm talking too long but you know I'm just I'm very lucky that I've had adversities because it's built my character you know if I would have had nothing happen to me personally throughout my life so far it would be rough when something did go wrong you know so I'm very lucky I've I've uh meaning I've I've been able to learn from my setbacks, you know. How, so you were self-conscious about your body for the longest time. How did Very you overcome that? Yeah, so I was, uh, I, one of the things that you've said in the beginning, kind of going through the stuff I went through was like social anxiety and, uh, mm-hmm. I was very, I cared way too much for many years about what other people thought about me, mm-hmm. uh, you know, other people's opinions. And, you know, from a young kid, this is kind of similar to how when I was a little six-year-old, you know, I got that root, I had that one kind of moment that kind of like set up struggles for many years to come. Well, I was always kind of a muscular kid. I was able to put on, you know, I was doing sports all the time as a little kid. And I got this nickname when I was like in first grade, six-pack Jack. <laughs> six-pack Jack. Six-pack Jack. So that was like another event where I'm like, oh, I have a six-pack, so I need to maintain this perfect physique and look. Mm-hmm. I have to live up to that name, you know? I can't get overweight or, or anything, you know what I mean? I got to be that because everyone knows me, knows of me as that guy. So that kind of started my perfectionism and body image. I remember in third grade, I would be pushing my stomach in, you know, thinking, oh, that's going to make me skinnier, you know? So I became very self-conscious of my body and the way I got over it was um someone someone told me one time you know treat yourself like someone you love and I don't know what I know I, I feel like I knew that even when I was a little kid I mean that's pretty obvious right but it's super hard to do and easy to forget but for some reason when that person told me that it just totally flipped a switch in my mind and I'm like gosh, I am such a bully to myself. I don't, the way I look and talk about myself, you know, when I was younger, I would never do that to anyone I cared about or even anyone I don't care about. I, I just, that's just a mean thing to do, you know? So it was probably when I was 18 or 19, I finally just started realizing, first of all, when you're in public, most people don't even, a lot of people aren't even thinking about you, even though you're paranoid, they might be, you know? and and it's just, it's impossible to be perfect. You know, I was living up, I was trying to be that perfect everything, like like we've talked about in the past, perfectionism. And same thing with my body image. You know, I, I had to be this perfect physique and I couldn't have an ounce of fat on me. And even when I was getting these compliments, I would just throw them away and be like, oh, but you know, they're just saying that. I'm not, I, I gotta get better, you know? So, but I got over it by just, listening to what this person told me when I was 17 or 18 years old, you know, treat yourself like someone you love. So pretty much immediately I started to get the habit of being kind to myself, meaning it started simple. I had to, every day I wrote down three things I like about myself. Uh At least one of them had to be a physical thing, not just like my characteristics or personality. And that's the key is, you know, you could talk to as many teenagers as you want about how to, turn their life around or how to fix something or how to get better at their body image. But if you only do it once every here and there, it's not going to change anything. The, the way we as humans learn stuff after the age of seven is either through hypnosis, repetition, 
those are the two, two main ways and repetition. So it's just like how you learn anything. How'd you learn how to ride a bike? You had to repeat it constantly. How'd you learn how to hit a baseball? You had to constantly practice hitting the baseball. It's the same thing with my self-talk and body image. I do constantly practice being nicer to myself, writing down things I liked about myself and not lying, you know, being honest, like really believing yeah. it. And when I did have bad thoughts about myself, I would, I got really good at catching them and reversing them. Okay. So I'd always have a couple of affirmations in my mind, you know, to help reverse kind of these negative uh, thoughts about myself. Okay. And let's go on, go on to the third section Perfect. Of the interview is, I mean, you touched base a little bit on how you overcame it, but what about for other people who um, say are not confident in their own skin, who are in and out in the hospital, who um, are a people pleaser? What tips do you have for them? Yeah, I think, uh, first of all, you know, not every one thing is going to work for everyone. Does that make sense? So yeah, like, it's not a one size fit, fits all. Exactly. It's not a one size fits all thing, but the first thought that came to mind that worked for me the best, and it's worked with a lot of people I've coached and also talked to and known is when you said, when you just asked me, you know, what would you tell someone or give them tips about someone who's not comfortable in their own skin and, and kind of lacks self-esteem and confidence is I think that person should just know the fact that, you are one of a kind. There's never been one person. This is a fact. This is not some cliche yeah. opinion. There's never been a person ever with your brain chemistry, your thoughts, your characteristics, your emotions, your triggers, your positive attributions ever in the history of humankind. And there never will be in the future. No one person will ever be like you ever again. It's like a makes snow someone snow unique is themselves. And different. So that's how you, you got to look at yourself as just, as that you're, you're one of a kind, you know, and when, when you can really believe that and know that to be true, being confident with yourself and, um, okay with your, with your flaws will become a lot, lot easier. Um, so that kind of addresses that kind of side of things. Cause I think if you're not confident with yourself and you're not comfortable in your own skin, it's, it's hard to really do anything positive, you know, cause you know, it's like, uh, how could you ever, that one line that I've, that I've heard a lot is, how could you ever love someone if you can't love yourself? You know, Absolutely. It's true because um, I used to be very self-conscious. I went to speech in ESOL class for seven years, and I used to be self-conscious on how I spoke. I got picked yeah. on for the way I spoke. I had improper grammar. I still have improper grammar a lot of times, but it's okay. I've accepted it. And I had a mentor tell me that you don't, uh, I, as a speaker, people are not going to listen to you because you have perfect grammar. You say things perfectly. They're going to relate to you because of your message. So people don't really care about your imperfections. They might say it as a joke and you might take it the wrong way sometimes, or sometimes they actually do mean it. But the fact, the day you actually can accept your imperfections is the day you become free. That's exactly right. That is, <clears throat> that's, that's a really good way of saying it. I, I recently, you might've seen this. I recently yeah. said something on, on social media about, you know, that famous African pr proverb that says, if there's no enemy within the yeah. enemy outside can do us no harm. That could not be more true. That's basically the summation of what we've been talking about. <laughs> yeah. When you're good with yourself, no one it will be capable of hurting your feelings or getting you down. Don't give them that power, you know? So when you accept your, your, uh, you know, speech, uh, flaws or whatever you want to call them, you know, your grammar mistakes and stuff like that, it's no one will be capable of beating you up over it, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's hard. Ah, gosh, if I would have heard that when I was a teenager, I wouldn't really catch on. It didn't really make sense until the last couple of years, but yeah. when you can actually, um, be at peace with yourself and your, your characteristics and your good things and not so good things about, you know, you as a human being, then no one else out there, you know, the, the enemy outside can do you no harm. And, you know, when, when, like you said, you, people would make fun of you or kind of bully you. And I'm sure there's tons of people who will watch this and listen to this, who have had some bullying and stuff like that mm -hmm. go on. And, uh, my, and I even had it, dude. Oh my gosh. I mean, I got, I was always injured a lot and on crutches growing up. So I would get made fun of a lot for that, you know, and 
it's never enjoyable, but once you get older, you realize one, I kind of feel bad for the, that person. So like if someone was going to comment and be like a, you know, internet troll on this podcast <laughs> or to yeah. attack you, I would feel bad for that person because yeah. something's obviously not right with them. If they yeah. have to go out and beat someone else up over, you know, cause, cause if there's no enemy within you, there's no reason for you to go attack someone else. Cause yeah. Many times bullies are self-conscious about themselves. Oh yeah. They're, yeah, man, there's always something. There's some sort of insecurity that's driving them to do that. I don't, I really believe no one just chooses to be mean. You know, there's, there's a, there's a reason there's a, there's a past emotional trauma or event that caused them to be that way. So mm-hmm. that's how you can kind of look at that. And you wanted to commit suicide at one point of your life. Uh, what made you change that? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was. And what tips do you have for other people who have the same exact thought? Yeah, there was, it's, it, there was many days where I would pray. I didn't wake up, you know? And, um, I kept wondering when I did wake up the next morning, like, like what the heck, you know, why, <laughs> why, why is this happening? You know what I mean? And the one thing I, that helped me is I don't really want to quit because there's always that small chance tomorrow I could be, get, start to get better. Mm-hmm. Cause that would really stink. It's kind of like that analogy that, um, you know, you're, uh, there's that picture I've seen before of two miners and they're like digging a tunnel and someone quits and they're like three inches away I've from that, digging yeah. there's a bunch of diamonds, you know, and gold. It's kind of like, man, that would be really unfortunate if I tried to end my life and did commit suicide. But you know, the next day I would have gotten better because someone, I would have met someone or something would have changed, you know, that, that I always held on to that little sliver of hope that soon something will change. And I think a lot of times for people to change, they need a wake up call. That's usually what sparks change. No one just, you know, a major change, I should say. So for me, my wake up call I got on March 6, 2015 was I actually attempted to commit suicide and I survived. Um, I, I, uh, it, it's a really long story, but basically I just, I should have been off a lot worse. You know, a lot of the people, and the medical field and who like the EMTs and stuff, they're saying, man, you should, you're very lucky. You know what I mean? And that was my wake up call realizing, wow, I really feel like whatever you believe in God or the man, you know, I really feel like uh, I was given a second chance. You know what I mean? So going through that and come and surviving, you know, a moment where I tried to not be alive anymore. That was my wake up call. And it doesn't need to be that extreme for some people going through, um, you know, suicidal thoughts and suicidal ideations. But I, I, I would say is uh, there is there there is always hope. There is, and I don't know if I like hope. I like the word faith. Hope is almost like wishing, you know. But there's always you faith, gotta keep yeah. the faith that one day things will get better. Faith is almost like saying I am. I have faith. I will. I will end up enjoying life more i'm confident i'll end up enjoying life more for me it just so happened it took that extreme event where i over i survived you know a suicide attempt and from that moment on my life completely did a 180 transition to a better life but there's always an opportunity to um turn your life around you know there was a i met this guy he spoke at my high school he uh survived jumping off the golden gate bridge He's like oh, the yeah. one. Of I saw that post. And not only him, but a lot of people have done um, surveys on people who've survived suicide attempts. And there's something like, I can't remember the exact percentage, so don't quote me on this, but there's something like 90, a little over 90% of these people regretted it the second they jumped, you know? And for me, the second I woke up from like blacking out and stuff after I tried to end my life, I totally regretted it. Like I, I feel like I made a mistake. And so that's, I think really powerful. People can understand that is Mm -hmm. it's, it's a permanent solution to a temporary problem. And a lot of times when it happens, like this studies have shown is 90% of these people 
regret it after the fact. They're like, ah, they, they wish they wouldn't have done it. You know what I mean? What should they do if they do feel like commit suicide? Yeah, I, I would say, uh, you know, I, you can, I think ego is the enemy with a lot of personal health, mental health, emotional health struggles. The way I got better was, uh, one is I asked for help. I threw my ego out the door. I knew that I wasn't, it wasn't just all me, you know, and help meaning that's, that's very broad. I would say, uh, you should, if, if you're self-aware enough to realize you have suicidal ideations and thoughts, you need to have some sort of, uh, plan set in set in uh, place to the point where if you do become dangerous and you don't really trust yourself you need to have someone you can reach out to or something that can happen where you will be getting a safe environment um so i you know it's it's different for everyone there's suicidal hotlines you know those i've mixed opinions on those there's you know, I've, I've had, I've talked to and known people who've just gone straight to the ER and just, you know, walked into the ER and kind of just said, Hey, I'm struggling with this, 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 and this, I need help. Um, but I think really at the end of the day, no one, no great person has ever done anything great alone. You know what I mean? Um, so I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for a team around me and a support system, you know, mm-hmm. and people to help me. Um, cause if I could do it all on my own, I wouldn't have ever gone through any of the stuff I went through, you know? So I would I would recommend that people just um, throw their ego out the door. It's okay not to be okay, you know. And you don't have to tell the whole world. For many years in high school, only a couple people in the entire high school knew I was suicidal, and that was my counselor and my the psychologist the psychologist in the school. Those are the only two people. So, you know, it wasn't known by everyone just because you you know, tell someone, Hey, I could use you if I get really down in the dumps, you know, and suicidal one day doesn't mean it's everyone has to know. And if they do, there, there shouldn't be a stigma behind it. You know, Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's, it's a health struggle. No one looks at someone different. Like for me, it was so fascinating when I was in the hospital, I never got a weird look or a comment because of my physical ailments. Everyone, it was just normal. But the second someone found out or the nurses would ask about my health history and I would say like, yeah, I've, I've struggled in the past with depression stuff. A lot of times they'd look at me a little different, you know, and that's a shame. And I, that shouldn't be the case. And that shouldn't be the case though with, with like the people who we're trying to give advice to you right now is um, don't give anyone that ability, that power to put you in this category and give you a stick, get a stick, stick a stigma on you, label you as anything. It's perfectly fine. There's so many people out there who have done so many great things in their life and they mm-hmm. have mental health struggles as well. I mean, it's, it's so common. If you are maybe like the only person on the planet who are going through something, maybe you might feel a little self-conscious, you know, yeah. <laughs> like you're the problem. But the f- fact There's is so there many- are billions of people out there who struggle with some form or another of, of stress, anxiety, depression, mental disorders, anything like that. It's everywhere. So there's no reason to feel shame behind that. You know, I have a tattoo on my arm that says unashamed. I love it. You know, it's, I am completely 100% unashamed of my past, my struggles, my everything, you know, it's me, it's my story, you know? Um, any last tips for any teenagers that are watching this, Jack? Yeah, I would say for any any teenagers or or even anyone watching this, um, I would one is nothing. You, you're not you don't get good at anything on the first try. Mm-hmm. So for me, the way I turned my personality, my mindset, my perspective, my um, anxiety and stress away, I got that to get turned around was just constant repetition. The first couple of times, first couple of months, I tried to get less stressed and anxious and I practiced handling adversity better. I sucked. I was terrible. You know, it wasn't that great, but the key is not stopping and not quitting because even if you look at like, there's a, if you watch a sporting event, you know, none of those guys were that good the first time they tried it, you know, it takes lots of practice and repetition. So I would say, keep that in mind is, you know, a lot of people might listen to this and try a couple of things out like, Oh, maybe I'll try to write down three things I like about myself every day. But, 
you know, after two days, if they don't feel like they're getting, they're feeling better, they might just quit. And that's, yeah. that's not what you should do. It's you a know? lifelong journey. Exactly. For, for me, I'm never recovered, always recovering. I never have it all figured out. Every day is a constant um, battle, but it's a good battle. Battle might have a negative connotation on it. Every day I wake up and the old Jack creeps up from time to time, but I have ways now to handle it and reverse it and not go down that slippery slope again. So basically the last thing I would say is um, really embody the, the fact that life is not at all what happens to you. The only thing that matters is how you respond to what happens to you. I, I really don't think adversity defines us, you know, but how you respond to your adversity is how people remember you. You know, it's really easy to um, forget the person who struggled with this, this, and this, but it's really hard to forget how they handled it and how they overcame it. You mm -hmm. know, so it's, 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 uh, it's important how you respond to your adversity. That's the only thing that matters. You know, you have a choice. Everything in life will either make you bitter or better. And it's, it's honestly up to you. So. Mm -hmm. That's great, man. Jack, where can people, where can teens, where can my followers find you? Yeah, uh, you can find me at uh, .com. Um And I'm sure if they don't know how to spell that, you, you probably can put it somewhere um, for them to see it, you know, on your website or something. Uh -huh. But .com. on Instagram, I am at jacksernet. And then Facebook and Twitter and all their social media, I'm just jacksernet. Um, but like I said, Instagram is I am Jack Cernet. And uh, yeah, check out my website. I'll have new speaking videos up there soon. Um, and, you know, it, take, take, what, take whatever you want from there. You know what I mean? Just like I'm sure a lot of people might resonate with some of the stuff we talked about today. And some people might resonate with only a few things, you know. But take, take what you want out of it. Use what you think will help you. And, that, and that's, that's all that matters, you know. Mm -hmm. Thank so, you, yeah. Jack. Thank you, Jack, for this interview. And uh, for my followers, if you haven't done so, if you're tuning in from my YouTube channel and you haven't done so, subscribe to Purpose Creates Impact. Hit that like button. Comment. Let us know what you think of this interview. If you're tuning in from my Teenage Impact podcast, then subscribe to my podcast channel and comment, rate it, because the the more you rate it, the more you comment, the higher ranking it'll be, and the more teen teenagers' lives I can impact. Thank you, Jack, and hope everyone has a great day. Rock on. Sweet.